Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm and I'm your host, James Sommery. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode. Today we're talking about pregnancy tech, although it goes far deeper into all sorts of different things. So motivation to start a health tech company, how life experiences can shape you to form a health tech company. And my guest this week is Bonnie, who's the CEO and founder of Bonzum, which is a Swedish health tech company focused in that pregnancy space. Now Bonnie's had an incredible background, started in telecoms, ended up in strategy consulting on a very high wage at a very young age, but had this horrendous week, which she goes into in a lot of detail on the podcast. And that essentially shaped her into having a load of different life experiences, but also led her into entrepreneurship too. She sailed around the world. She took photos of polar bears for National Geographic, ended up coming back and taking jobs, which were, to be fair, quite far below her pay grade. But through all of those different experiences, ended up with an idea and that idea initially was to create a golf magazine and I I will cut a long story short here but she goes into a lot of detail about how she grew that company and sold that golf magazine ended up in a really cushy job but without purpose and without that motivation so ended up starting a health tech company on the back of another near-death experience that she had following preeclampsia which is a pregnancy complication Now, I will allow Bonnie to explain all of that in way more detail and far better than I can. But all I will say is if you want to get in touch with her or you want to get in touch with us, then head over to the description of this episode and you can find links to all of our websites and socials. Enjoy the episode. So, Bonnie, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I'm very well, thank you. Whereabouts are you speaking to us today from, Bonnie? I'm in Stockholm currently. Excellent. Are you at home or at work? I'm at work in one of these small conference rooms that we like to call speaking rooms, where you can just stand and speak and hopefully there's no echo. (laughs) Lovely. What a great idea, a speaking room. So ideal for my podcast guests. I wish everybody had a speaking room. Um, Cool. So, Bonnie, the way that we start these podcasts is I would like to get you to tell your story. So we've had a call before, so I know a little bit about your background and you've told me some awesome stuff. So for the benefit of our listeners, tell us your story. Okay. well, I I thought I was going to have a normal career. I um, studied master's in business in University of Stockholm and I was headhunted to Ericsson during my thesis. And um, I had this amazing job at Ericsson, I think. I worked with um, OSS, the the software that controls the base stations. Okay. And I got to travel the world, basically. Um, My job was to uh, go to Brazil, Argentina, and U.S. and to um, handle the salespeople, uh, the people who sold the OSS system. And uh, tried to understand what their issues were because there were a lot of issues in the sales process and mm. that um, the headquarters at Ericsson in Stockholm wasn't really aware of. So I got to learn a lot about telecom systems and um, what motivates salespeople and what kind of issues that can occur in an international organization where you have product development in Canada, marketing and sales support in Sweden, and then uh, sales people all over the world um wow and then there was a group at ericsson uh, was um it was called ericsson healthcare at the time interesting and didn't uh, know, i didn't know ericsson, division. no 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 it was uh, like an innovation team and then ericsson decided to just uh, stop that project so oh. the team the team at ericsson healthcare we all quit and started a company that was called Unicom Care. Wow. Um, at the time, I was a junior. I was in my 20s, so I wasn't one of the founders. I was one of the you know, people yeah. that the founders decided to hire. Um, and my job was to go to hospitals, analyze their IT need and communication, because Unicom Care was supposed to revolutionize communication and IT in healthcare and this is around 1999 so a bit a bit too early and 
I'll tell you what though, as, as a pedigree for becoming a health tech entrepreneur at the age of 20, getting early startup experience from sort of a spin out to then go and analyze hospital IT systems, it doesn't really get much better than that. No, no, I guess not. Because you know what, uh, if we jump back to this current age, this, what I learned at that time is the reason why I choose not to involve hospitals in the beginning <laughs> of my product development. <laughs> That's why there's probably a lot of people in the UK that, uh, that really identify with that. Yeah. Just, uh, keep close to the patients instead. Um, anyway, so I really loved that job but you know the it bubble was about to bust but we didn't know it we could kind of feel it so i i quit that job um because unicom care uh, didn't really take off and then i worked as a management consultant within internet and telecom at a company called intelligence yeah. it was a competitor to mckinsey within that small niche oh wow uh, internet and telecom and I was young at the time, I was 24 maybe, and I just felt on top of the world, like I was the shit having this, <laughs> you know. Amazing. Yeah, I, like this, it was so much fun. Like I developed over 250 mobile applications for a Swedish telecom operate, operator. Wow. And like the concepts of it, and we had so many like amazing projects and did like these uh, future scenario developments where we actually could see uh, that the future for telecom was not really bright we compared yeah. it with it's going to be like electricity because at the time it was like a fight between where is the intelligence going to be is it mm. going to be in the phones or in the sim card and if the intelligence is in the sim card then the telecom operators are going to charge money but if it, the intelligence is on the phone, then telecom operators is going to be more like um, electricity providers. Yeah. And um, this is before um, Ericsson and um, Sony decided sure. to join their forces. Uh, anyway, all of a sudden, uh, the IT bubble just burst. For me, I'm not really sure it was a, a bubble. Uh, I have some theories around everything that happens around that, but maybe that's not the topic for this podcast. I guess. <laughs> um, but anyway, I actually lost my job uh, the same week as um, I got a divorce. Oh, wow. What a week. Which was, yeah. I mean, for me, since I was, you know, I was so young and I thought I was on top of the world being so successful, making all this money, being a strategy management consultant. I thought I was like... I've made it, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm divorced and unemployed. And I oh. hadn't even turned 25, right? That's going to and test then, your resilience. Yeah. And all my friends, colleagues, everyone in the market, everyone lost their jobs. Like Stockholm was just a, a bunch of highly educated hobos running around mm. no one with them unemployment's really strange. what year was this out of interest uh this would be 2000 okay I think. so all and these uh, talented people running around looking for something to do and i'm yes. sure the entrepreneurs start trying to pick them off to, to build companies <laughs> yeah and then but the thing is you know there were um there were no investments everyone was holding their money uh, a lot of people had had lost a lot of money of course, uh, of course and a lot of people who at least like in theory on the paper uh, had a lot of money but then you know since the bubble burst it was um, nothing yeah i was not one of these people anyway because i was just uh, you know a junior employee um however i had this major crisis right because uh, my ego was uh, shattered yeah <laughs> Um, a genuine so, challenge genuine challenge yeah like i see it as i had my midlife crisis when i was 24 yeah interesting so what i did is i uh, just decided to leave the country and i um, read online about a, a guy who had sold his company and bought a boat and he was going to sail around the world so i sent him an email um 
on this Friday night after coming home <laughs> from clubbing with my friends and <laughs> just so useless. <laughs> so, to be honest, Most people text was... like an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, but you just uh, email some guy with a boat. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Exactly. And then I was, hi, my name is Bonnie. Um, I wonder if you need some help on your um, sailing trip. I'm not really a good sailor, but I'm positive and I, I have a lot of energy. Um, that was so my bold. email to him. Yeah, and because during that summer, I had taken a four-day sailing course. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and that's So the next course, logical step is obviously to sail around the world. Yeah, great. Yeah, that <laughs> sailing course, I was supposed to do that with my husband, right? But since we got a divorce, I was alone in that, in that sailing course, which okay. was very strange. But um, anyway, uh, at that course, I'm, uh, there was... Um, man in his 60s he talked about how he had crossed the atlantic and he talked about the sunsets and the moon and i just thought it sounded amazing so i i said to my friends that i want to do that too and they said yeah sure bonnie when you're 60 and have sailed your whole life then maybe you can do that <laughs> but that friday night i decided that i think now is the time excellent and I, I was so i was lucky in a way because jesper uh, he, who got my email, he was actually desperate because he was leaving Sweden on Monday and he was taking the boat from Sweden to Greenland and then he was going to uh, change the crew in Greenland and um, one person has decided not to join which meant, meant that he was one person short. <laughs> and wow. And when you're on a boat, it's kind of important what kind of people you bring in that boat. Yeah. Because it's such a tiny area. And also, if you're going to cross a major sea, it can be, you know, a terrifying experience. So you, 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 don't, you want to filter out the crazy ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he's, uh, he decided to meet with me in pure desperation. And he said, uh, it doesn't really matter if you can sail or not because you're going to um catch on really really fast so all his questions to me in that interview was basically about my if i was uh, seasick in any way had any sign of motion sickness uh, and if i was a ment uh, mentally stable person sort of like uh, recruiting for a startup <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually, actually i think it's kind of the same thing it kind uh, of is, isn't it? I mean, you're yeah. putting this little crew together on this mission and it doesn't really matter particularly what the skills are because they can be learned. It's more that you've got the right type of person that can pull their weight, learn quickly and execute, right? Yeah, and, and, it's, uh, and it's, it's such a stressful situation that you really need to... Um, it's, it's about your your personality and, and how yeah, you deal stress with stress. Management is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, going off topic a little bit, but when I, when I started Bonson after a while, when I moved back to Sweden from Shanghai and my, um, CTO, he's from Kathmandu and he moved from Kathmandu to Sweden and in Stockholm, it's really difficult to get apartments. So he and his wife uh, stayed in, in my house and yeah. I have two kids and people said, are you crazy? Are, is Anish going to stay in your house with your kids? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, because we don't have any other place to go. I mean, at least until we can find an, a proper apartment. And, and people just thought I was insane. But I, <laughs> I, I thought, like, if we're going to run a startup together, if we can't live together, you know, with his wife and my kids and that chaos, I mean, that's nothing compared oh, exactly. to what we're going through in the company. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so I think that trip, um, I, I, I took a plane to Greenland and he, and then I joined the team uh, and sailed from Greenland to Canada and then down to Virginia wow. in US, which was, um, I think, um, one of the most amazing things I've done in my life. It's, I can't really describe it. Because we went through, you know, so many things. I mean, we breached the boat. We were um, idiots, all of us, I think, because we didn't have any <laughs> proper sailing skills. <laughs> I'm not sure I can recommend it to anyone, but I think it builds uh, confidence. And also, 
um, I, I remember one time when, um, uh, actually when we breached the boat, which was uh, really a terrifying experience, I was inside the boat and um, uh, I just, I haven't, I haven't told this story in uh, English before. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm, ex I'm excited. Um, and I was supposed to get on my shift and then all of a sudden, instead of standing in the boat, I'm suddenly just lying down on the wall, which oh, is God. a really strange experience. And this happens so fast, but it's like a cartoon. Um, and when you say breach uh, the boat, you mean it's gone upside down, right? It, yes, it, it, when it tips uh, completely. Wow. And, and, and the, so everything on one side of the boat just came towards me like and this happens i think so fast but it's like in my mind it's slow like i can see these knives and forks just <sighs> throw going like through the air towards me but i, I have pictures on afterwards where, where we have knives and forks that are like uh, stabbed into the walls and on the on the our navigation screen everything was just everything was smashed and then I was bleeding, and, but, and I was so bruised that I couldn't, really, I couldn't really see where the blood was coming from. And I think that was the time when I felt like uh, I've had enough. I just want to yeah. go home to my yeah. mom. You know? and, um, but the thing is, when you're on a boat, you just have to like, um, get it together. And then I, then I was supposed to, because it was my shift. And um, uh, Joachim and Martin, that was on deck. Because when you're on the deck, when you, uh, when you sail through a storm, you have to be tied up uh, in at least two, two places on the boat. Mm. So even though they were completely under the water, they were still you know, tied to the boat. But they were both really traumatized by this mm. event. So I shouldn't complain about me <laughs> bleeding and I had to protect myself from knives and forks and eggs, you know, everything in the refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, the refrigerator just open, wide open, and just, it's just full of eggs. And, um, I tell um, you what, though, when, when, you're, when you're then going on to found businesses and you have hard days and tough days, you must look back to that day and just think, well, at least it's not as bad as this, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you get perspective. Because the thing is, and this is um, where, when, uh, the, the big thing about this night is when, when it was my turn to be on, on the deck, because I'm not a big person. So for me to uh, handle a, a big boat like this in a storm, I have to use my, my whole body, right? Because you have to, after each wave, you have to put the... Uh, boat back to neutral position in order mm. for it not to breach. It was a storm and it was rain and it was in the middle of the night. So it was also pitch dark. And this is when we were outside the coast of um, Canada where we also be, had to be mindful about the course and not, um, you know, um, run into some rock or something. So I had to both handle the boat and, and navigate and then all of a sudden, the moon appeared. So, <laughs> and the moon appeared right when the boat was on course. Hmm. And then the moon appeared just uh, to the left of the mast. Did you say, say the mast in English? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And after that, it was just so easy. Um, <laughs> and I was just... Plain sailing, handling. if you will. Yes, yes, yes. But <laughs> I went really fast in this storm. And it was, um, uh, and I still had to use my body weight after each wave, um, but it was so easy thanks to the moon. And I, I feel after that, that I have like a special connection with the moon. Every time I see the moon, I just feel like, hey, it's you oh, again, wow. uh, you're here for me. It's, and it's, um, I'm not religious uh, in any way. I'm not, not religious. I'm, I don't think I'm anything. It's just, I have this feeling that things are gonna uh, sort themselves out if you just um, kind of go with the flow mm. and there's something about people call it synchronicity because it, it, it has happened to me a bunch of times 
where I feel like, shit, can't really deal with this. I need something. I need someone. I need, and then I can't really say what it is I need, but then suddenly it just appears. Anyway, so this is the start of my adventures, right? So I, and I did this for a while. I was sailing. I went on some trips to Svalbard. I, a friend of mine got a, a mission from National Geographic uh, where she was supposed to take a picture of polar bears. And nice. she had a big advance and her instructions were never seen before. She asked me if I wanted to join. And so we trekked around Svalbard and sailed around because it's um, safer to take pictures of polar bears from a sailboat. <laughs> so I, I did these things. And then while I was back in Sweden, I did this odd jobs like um, selling media, um, being night watch at some uh, random place. Uh, you know, these things that it's really below my um, pay grade as a sure. former management consultant. Um, but it was, and then I, I sudden, suddenly felt that maybe I should do something grown up again. And um, this was 2004. And I was in Stockholm having some drinks with a friend. And all of a sudden at the restaurant where we were, there was this um, golf club. Because the restaurant had their own golf club. My mm. friend said, hey, look at their golf club. There's only men in, that, in the golf club. And I was like, yeah, it's true. Like only men. And then we started to talk about golf and um, how it's uh, so male dominated. Not, not, yes, yes, yes. That was <laughs> the word I was looking for. Anyway, because we've we've been to um, like a release party for a magazine, which was mm. um, a, a niche magazine, and this is two thousand and four. So there weren't that many niche magazines, and then we thought, hey what if we start a golf magazine for women? And then we started to talk about like, uh, what an amazing job that would be to have a publishing house. And if we wrote about golf, then we could play on different golf courses. And, mm-hmm. and, and we just, you know, having these drinks, fantasizing about this amazing life as uh, being uh, magazine owners. And then I just couldn't let it go. So I started to look at the market. So, yeah. Like women who play golf, like how many women play golf in Sweden? And then it turns out that Sweden has the highest amount of female golfers per capita in the world. Wow. Yeah. And so I started to look at um, how, what kind of um, reading habits do they have? And in, in Sweden, we have this uh, research institute that's called CIFO, and they have this. Um, measurement it's called Orvesto they they because basically in in Sweden we kind of find out everything about our citizens right so there's a, a database when mm-hmm. we can go and look at everything so I, I and I had a friend who worked at that institute so I I we sat in his office for like one afternoon and just for fun like looked at this target group okay so women who play golf what, what how do they vote what are their purchasing habits um, do they read magazines? Do they have any money? And it turns out like, wow, these women, they are so, all, so all sure of they're in, really... All of that information is public in Sweden. You can just go and find that information out. Well, yes, it's public wow. if, you, if you pay for it. That's what this oh, research okay, yeah, institute... Sure. Uh, Still that's low. their business model, right? But yeah, you know, that is why Sweden is such a big... It's such an amazing market to test things on. Yeah. Because uh, we know everything about uh, our citizens. And I mean, I think uh, in the 80s, the biggest DNA database in the world was in Göteborg. And the second biggest was in Israel. Wow. So we have, uh, we have everything about. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, mm. and, and then I realized that this is a really interesting target group for um, advertising, advertisement. So I started the magazine and I did that without having any money. So basically what I did is I, I sold the ads first, uh, uh, convincing all the advertisers that I'm going to make this amazing magazine and you don't mm-hmm. have to pay for your ad until you see the magazine. And when you see it, you're going to understand that it's amazing. And then I made a deal with the printing house that um, I didn't have to pay for the printing uh, until after 30 days. 
<laughs> and then I made a deal with the advertiser that they, they don't have to pay it until they see the ad. But when they see the ad, they have to pay me within a week. And then you can pay, pay the printing house. Yes, yes, yes. And the salaries and, and everything. And bold, there was too many. strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, I get, and that's how I kind of ran the company for quite some time, you know, just um, rolled with it, um, which was really stressful, but um, fun. But it also made, you know, you don't have any margins. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, it was really, really a fun time. And then I, I sold the magazine to the Swedish Golf Federation. Uh, we got, I think, 30% market share, uh, which is wow. basically everyone in that target group who actually read. And I knew that before, that like every women who play golf don't read, everyone don't read magazine. I was only interested in the women who play golf and were also spending money. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, that was um, a really, really amazing time. But then when I sold the magazine to the Golf Federation, I was locked in and uh, all of a sudden, like the job I used to have um, was divided like to six different people. So I had six different people doing my job and then I got to choose the most fun part of my job, which was being the editor. And then uh, I had this, you know, nice salary. My job at the time was to travel the world, play golf courses, try massages, interview celebrities, um, making decisions about fashion shoots, going to South Africa, handling a golf fashion shoot, stuff like that. And for and, some reason, you then decide to go and start a health tech company. Tell me all about those reasons. Yeah, because it felt so empty. Like I was sitting in my nice car outside on my job and I didn't want to leave the car, right? I was so, it just, um, and I thought like, shit, I need to deal with this. I need to go to therapy. I need to like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be happy in this like really nice, safe environment? But mm. it just felt so superficial and shallow. And then people said to me like, wow, red tea, this is your life work. And I just felt, no, 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 this is not my life. And this can't be my life work. It's supposed to be something more. So I had this itch. And, and then I was um, pregnant uh, with my second child. And I had a complication that nearly killed me. And I had no idea I was so close to dying. And wow. It was preeclampsia, wasn't it, from what I've read? Yeah, yes. And, and, and the thing is, with preeclampsia, it, it, it kills one person a minute. And having experienced this, well, like feeling these vague symptoms. And I also, I called, um, we have a like um, hotline where we can call in Sweden and ask a nurse questions. And what they said to me is like, yeah, but you know, it's tough being pregnant. So I just thought, thought that, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to feel like this, but I just felt that this is not, it's not normal. This. Cool. And then just by um, some random, uh, was just randomly that my, my aunt asked my dad, so how's Bonnie feeling? And then she, he told her about my condition, how I, was, how, how I was feeling. And then she said, oh, that sounds really bad. She, need, she, she it sounds like preeclampsia. She needs to go to the emergency now. And then my dad called me and said, I talked to Anna. She said, you need to go to the emergency. And I said, no, because I've already checked. And they said, it's fine. And I, I really don't feel like being there waiting. Because in my first pregnancy, I went to the emergency room all the time. Because <laughs> I was, you know, because I was worried. And, yeah, first pregnancies, it happens. Yeah. And then now I just, I didn't want to go there and feeling like an idiot. But he insisted. And then I went to the emergency and they saw that this is preeclampsia and they immediately delivered the baby. Um, and Charlie, she's now eight years old. Oh. And uh, so everything, you know, turned out well because I have family and I live like in a nice, uh, safe country where healthcare is free and it's close to the hospital. But I, I just, 
saw this big gap, a gap between the information that's available to the public and the information that exists, right? Because Anna, uh, who's a nurse, she knew about these symptoms. And why weren't they available to me uh, when I needed them? Like, I, I just thought that healthcare is really inefficient. Like, why do we need to go to the hospital just to find out whether we need to be there or not? Right? It's so, it's so true. So when I used to work in the emergency department, especially in children's emergency departments, actually, so I used to think of this all the time that people would come in for information. And so there was a, the filter that wasn't happening was, you know, giving that information to the public so that more informed decisions can be made by the public, thus reducing exactly. the amount of people that come in, thus reducing the pressure on the system. And it was, it was crazy that, you know, very, very, very well-educated people, just did not have the information given to them to be able to make a good autonomous decision about whether to come to the emergency department or not. I absolutely do not blame the public for that whatsoever. It's not the fault of the public for not knowing something. But like you, I just felt so frustrated as a, as a doctor, as a clinician, you know, everybody else felt the same, that, that this information just wasn't getting to people so that they could make the decisions and just not come in. Or indeed, this is actually very serious and you should be coming in like yesterday. It's a similar thing. You yeah. know, as you say, there's, there's the worried well that come in too much, of which you were that in your first pregnancy. And then there's the, the flip side, which is, oh, I'm sure it'd be fine. And it definitely isn't. So I totally agree. That, you know, Disseminating that information to the public is a massively important thing to do to uh, ease pressures on, on health systems and yeah. make a lot of like money in, as an entrepreneur, I imagine. Yeah, in, in, in Sweden, you know, the midwives, they are completely working their asses off. And yeah. they're, um, the, the situation is really horrible for them. But the thing is, in average, a midwife in Sweden delivers 1.4 babies a week. The thing is, they're just uh, drained with all these other issues that they need to deal with that, that they actually shouldn't deal with. That's really interesting. 1.4 yeah. babies a week they deliver. Yes. Yes. And yet they're still overrun with tasks. Yes. Yes. Incredible. Yes, yes, yes. So it's, um, there's so much to be done. And I think uh, now when tech meets hospitals, I mean, when we've been able to work separately, right? Because mm. I, I started to build bond soon and I did that without talking to um, the hospitals, but, but I did talk to, scientists, professors, I talked to the Midwife Association. So I developed it with Karolinska Institute and the Midwife Association. And I realized that this can save a lot of lives. I mean, mm. it's, it's a really convenient um, app. I mean, it's um, probably the biggest pregnancy app in Sweden now. So it's, uh, it's uh, even in Sweden, women really like it, they need it. But in other countries uh, where uh, access to healthcare is not as um, well. Well, they have low access to healthcare. Mm. It's uh, it can save their lives. So, talk me through the product then. So, it's an app that solves. The, so, what problem are you solving? So, the problem that you're solving, I guess, is information. Good information on pregnancy and symptoms and treatments and all that stuff is not getting to pregnant women. So I guess that's the problem that you're solving. So talk me through the product itself. And I'm interested in who you thought would pay for this and how you went about developing a business model. So how did you kind of go from the idea and doing all this market research? And by the way, I'm not going to skirt over that entirely because I say this on this podcast all the time, immerse yourself in the problem completely and understand everybody that that problem touches and affects, which is exactly what you've just said you did. You know, talk to professors, talk to midwife associations, talk to midwives themselves, talk to pregnant ladies, you know, talking to everybody to understand the problem is definitely the first step. But then from there, turning that then idea into reality, how did you go about that practically? And who did you think the payers and the, and, and the customers and, and people are going to be? And how did you build that business model? Wow. And this is where I'm going to sound like a completely crazy person. <laughs> I just did it. I didn't um, even think about it. Which, I just went with the flow. <laughs> no, but the, the thing is, because um, I used my exit money from Red Tea yeah. uh, to, to start this company. And I was so obsessed with building the product 
like the mm. first year. So it was all about building the product and understanding the needs of the pregnant women mm. and how I can get them to use uh, the product making it i mean the first versions looked like a thousand ways your pregnancy could kill you which is not <laughs> an insp inspirational tool uh, so, so it was all about like learning how to get women to use it when they were healthy so it would be useful for them when they experienced some issues right um and the business model actually turned out to be this random thing um which we had no idea that, that the business model would come from that place. So uh, Bonsun is two things, which is, it's one thing, but it's also two things. Because <laughs> um, So we have a system, right? Um, and you can use it when you're pregnant, but then the f there's one part of the system which we sell to IVF clinics. And it helps them take care of their patients. So our business model comes from the clinics. Okay. Because, which is really interesting. We, did, we didn't see that coming. I mean, in the, in the pregnancy solution we have, the business model is insurances, where we actually work as an insurance broker. So we, we sell insurances because insurance companies really want to target families. But they and don't you've know. You've got who's... a really focused, fo really yeah. focused deal flow for them, there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can build their brand during the pregnancy, and then when uh, the couples have their baby, that's when they're ready to uh, switch insurance companies mm. and sign on for health insurances or child insurances. And so that is uh, a really good business model, and it's um, it's uh, working well. But this IVF solution actually. It just came from, it was uh, uh, the pharmaceutical company Merck that approached me at this event where I was talking about, I think, globalization or something. And they said, we, we found this issue in the IVF process and we're interested if, if you can help us see if there is a way to solve this. Um, and this was the innovation manager at Merck and mm. the, the Swedish IT manager at the time who approached me. And then I said, well, sure. And I just saw it, to be honest, as a way of, you know, just making some extra money, um, you know, selling them a study on this issue. And then when we started to look at this, we just realized that, wow, because I didn't even know what IVF was. Yeah. I was like, what the IVF what process treat? I, I didn't understand, but I, Anyway, if, if they want some help to look at this, sure, I can look at it. And then when me and Anais, my CTO, when we started to work with this, we were just, wow, this is, the, the couples who go through IVF treatment, it's, so, it's such an extremely stressful situation for them. And we can help them. And we can actually help the clinics help their patients. And we do this without interfering in the actual medical process it's um and how do you it, help what does the app actually do for so, those ivf patients or what does it do wider than ivf even it's it's it works kind of the same way as um, uh, our pregnancy solution so if if um, bones on pregnancy it's like having your own midwife it's like a software follows you in your pregnancy that makes you understand what's normal and what to watch out for but then bonsoon ivf you get that when you go to the clinic and start an ivf treatment they will give you a code to download this app and then in the app you choose which treatment that you are um, getting and then the app walks you through this treatment and then uh, for each step that you go through, the app will be there for you because you need, the thing is, when you, when you do an IVF treatment, well, first of all, it's going to be the, for some couples, it's going to be the first time that they realize the causes for their infertility, which is yeah. in itself really stressful and, and 
they're going to be curious about information about that but then the process in itself it's it's so much to think of you need to take the medicine at exactly the same time and and the app will give you give you a reminder of like when it's time to take your medicine so you don't miss it very granular then all the help that it's giving yeah and then and then i mean if you're gonna like when it's time for um like egg retrieval and uh, all these processes you're gonna have so many questions like what's happening and, Mm. and what if it doesn't become an embryo and um and when it's you know and and every question is unique but the thing is with the software you can create something that adapts to the person who uses it so you feel like this is something that's relevant to me Mm. and it um, we thought in the beginning that this is something that um, the business model is going to be because we're going to get so much data and that is actually a, a business model in itself but the patients can also pay for this when we presented this to the clinics just you know just to see like what do you think and we just wanted to test like is this something that they could pay for because we realized that this could actually increase their profitability oh definitely it's competitive advantage it's you know part of that private offering you know definitely i can definitely see how that works yeah and and, i mean it's going to increase their care home and baby rates and um, but what what the clinics saw and they saw it as a way to save money uh, to, redu- to reduce their costs now i think soon we're going to have all clinics in sweden so we started to present this to, to the ivf clinics in stockholm so we have all clinics in stockholm except one but they're probably going to sign on this week and um, it's uh, now for us it's all about having the time to meet with the clinics and present this um mm. and it's um i didn't see that coming actually no and that's brilliant do they drop their costs just because patients are um, better informed therefore they don't come into clinic as much they don't ring the clinic as much and they're uh, i guess exactly. you're, you're saving on on those efficiency gains yes 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 uh, because what the what the clinics um uh, see is that uh, they think i mean that's what they say that they spend 30% of their time informing patients about things that they've already informed them about. Mm. And the thing is, the patients feel that they don't get enough information. Well, yeah, and we know from science, stressful situations means that information is not retained. I mean, we, yes. we absolutely know that, and it could not be more stressful for these patients, you know. So no, I can exactly, I, that, exactly. that, those statistics completely make sense to me. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, we've actually had cases where there are two doctors who are married to each other and they go through an IVF treatment and they still feel that they don't have enough information. Yeah, I can believe that. I can definitely believe that. Um, and, and so we, it took us two years to build this and that was not about the coding. It was about um, understanding the psychology of what you need and what kind of of information you need when and which different type of people who need different type of information so everything is in this app we've we took help of ivf doctors um, professors um, psychologists journalists uh, everyone so it's like a massive amount of people who've been involved in just making the the content and this is um, um, I, I just think that's a really important point just to dwell on there that it took that amount of time. I mean, years, you just said two years to, to, to personalize it properly, to glean as much information as you could from everybody that could possibly have an opinion in order to make the app the best version of itself. I think that's a really, really, really important point. And as you say, it was not about the coding. And I think in, in an age that we're in now where, more and more you know things like digital therapeutics are just dropping out the sky and more and more and more of them are just popping up all over the place i think it's such an important point that when you're developing something like a digital therapeutic which almost you know this kind of is it's certainly encroaching upon that i know you're giving information but 
you're essentially treating anxiety. You're essentially preventing anxiety. I'd, I'd say it is a form of yeah. a digital therapeutic. I think it's so important that anybody listening that's thinking about doing that or that, 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 that is doing that learn from this experience here because i imagine that that you would say that was a good investment of time right yes definitely definitely because you need something that's working because now in our pilot cases because we've had um, two clinics trying it eight out of ten patients use this yeah and, and if we didn't if we hadn't put this much effort into it then it wouldn't have worked and that's the danger, isn't it? Because the adoption of it is so key. I mean, again, I bang on about this all the time in this podcast, but the, the adoption of new innovation is just the hardest bit to get right in healthcare, I think. It's so disproportionate how resources are not spent in adoption. They're spent on product development, and it's, it's just not the same thing. And so, as you say, <clears throat> all of those resources spent to ensure the adoption was right i completely advocate that and endorse this message fully <laughs> yeah and i think because of our work with the bonds and pregnancy um which when we when we started that it was you know there were no other pregnancy apps on the market it was like a blue ocean where we there we were the only fish and now it's more a red ocean. There's so many pregnancy apps and it, you can actually make a lot of money by having a really crappy product. Yeah. If, if and, your model is just advertisements and, and short deals. Yeah. But, if, but if you want something that works in long term, and especially, I mean, if you sell it to clinics and you want them to continue to renew their subscription to this, um, you have to have high quality and make something that works. You know, I, th I think this is, a, again, a really important point that one of the things that we, we look at at HS all the time, if we're going to take companies into the accelerator or we're looking at investments, whatever it is, the motivation of patients, uh, sorry, the motivation of founders is extremely important. And as a patient founder, you've got this internal motivation to build a high quality product that delivers value. And that ultimately is going to be a product that has a sustainable business model. It's, it's going to have legs from that business perspective. And I think it's real testament, you know, and evidence that that's the case in that, as you say, you were the only pregnancy app on the market. Anything you put out would have made a quick buck and a bit of money. But because you cared deeply about the quality of the product, because you're a patient yourself and you were building something to solve your own problem, it was of high quality, like extremely high quality. And despite the fact, as you, as you now say, it's gone from a blue ocean to a red ocean with all these different products, yours is still head and shoulders above just simply because you built it properly and it's built to last and, and with that internal quality. Yeah. And people thought I was crazy for not having ads in the app. Yeah. And like, how are you making money? And I was like, no, we're actually not making money at the time. Yeah, you focused but on the value. Yeah. And why don't you have ads in the app? And I just said no it's because it's going to mess up our, uh, our product development because i wanted i wanted to understand how people used it and what was working and, and if i had ads and then everyone you know just um, went outside from the app i would we wouldn't have learned as much yeah anything that makes the user experience worse is going to decrease your chance of getting adoption yeah. So anything that you do along those lines, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. We know in healthcare adoption is the hardest part. So don't do anything that's going to harm your ability to get the product adopted. It, it is just a, it's a kamikaze uh, like attempt to build something, you know, it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense. Okay. Um, you have to be, I think you have to be patient. And because um, I, I moved to China to start this. And so I was able to bootstrap. Because in China, you, you can live... to China just to build this. Yeah, because That's I wanted dedication. to... dedication. Yeah, I wanted to launch in a big market. Because remember my golf magazine, right? Where I said... I Sweden do, very has... well. <laughs> <laughs> so Sweden has the highest amount of female golfers oh, per capita okay. in the yeah. world, right? So I was You took that learning and took that message and then thought, where's the biggest market for this? It's in China. So I'm going to go and do it there. Exactly, because I thought huh. it, high internet access, 
uh, low access to quality health care and um, also it's um, the market is a, a better test market than for instance india because a mom in new delhi and a mom in bombay are more different from each other than um, a mom in um, shanghai and beijing culturally you mean yes culturally. the way they so, consume information i suppose yes yeah, so i thought it's, it's a better test market which um, I'm not sure because it's <laughs> what I didn't realize at the time was in China, everything around tech is, it's very different, right? Because um, Facebook is blocked. Instagram is blocked. Everything mm. connected to Google is blocked. So we need to be, uh, we have different systems. What we have in China is one thing and what we have outside of China is another thing, you know, because of we're going to experience um, different things in china you know maybe just because of some of your um uh, like we used um it's like a, a, a company that helps us with the sms verification but then google bought them which means that they were blocked in china which oh, meant wow. that our suddenly our verifications didn't work a lot of challenges technical challenges yes mm. yes but, but a lot of fun a lot of fun i think but um yeah i, w- I wanted to start there because i was i was curious about china People talk a lot about it, don't they? And it, I find that people often say, I mean, it's, it's often quite throwaway comments, you know, China's a great market or China's a bad market or China's this or China's that. And yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I never really comment because I've not actually gone and experienced it. And so uh, some of the people that say these things also have never been there, I suppose, to experience these <laughs> things yet seem to have an opinion on it, which I do find fascinating. But yeah, I, I very rarely comment on China because I I, uh, I definitely don't have the experience of having lived or worked there to, to tr- truly understand the market enough to comment on to others anyway. I, I would um, recommend you to go there. I definitely um, will. I definitely and, will. And um, uh, I can give you some suggestions on people to talk to. And especially, that would be ideal. Especially in health tech. So I'm not saying it, this is a good thing. I'm just you know, stating this as a fact because there are no privacy laws in China, which means that in order, I mean, the innovation around health tech um, is less restricted. Mm. And it's um, there's so much resources being put into this um, space. So, I mean, I think in health tech innovation, China is, you know, so far ahead of us in, in many times, in, in many areas. All this has happened so fast. I mean, when I moved to China, we actually started with a web-based solution. This is a really long time ago where iPhone had just, you know, recently been launched, but people weren't really talking about apps. Mm. But in China, you know, it, it didn't become mobile first. The whole country went mobile only, uh, which meant that the mobile innovations, it was such, it was really inspirational for us to be there and work with our product development from there in that space. So, I, I feel that I got a lot of inspiration from China. Mm. And then when I moved back from China to Stockholm, we were able to be really fast because the, the speed in China, is, it's crazy. And, and we've been able to keep this speed in Sweden. So um, and now since we're growing, uh, we're really mindful about keeping our speed. Because it's, um, it's all about what you can learn from a different culture, isn't it? And how that kind of bleeds back into your ethic when you uh, when you come back. Yeah, I think the combination uh, with the Swedish way of doing things, which means that you have to be make things correct. Yeah. Right. But yeah. but we've also had this motto: move fast and break things. But, like, so we really <laughs> really necessarily fast, work in health. no exactly because you need some things really really need to take their time right yeah you need to do things really really slow um but at the same time like when it's done then you need to be super fast Hmm. and i think that's the space we're in now where we're just gonna roll this out and be as fast as possible and and we're also um Everything we do, we think about whether this scales. Yeah. In everything, the sales process, 
the way we translate to different languages yeah. and the way we change things in the app because we need to think about okay if what if we have our system in 135 languages and we need mm -hmm. to change some things and we need to change it in a 135 places at the same time but our people our developers don't speak 135 languages of so how, how do we deal with this so this is something that we put a lot of time into like how uh, are we able to be really really fast so and how global are you at the moment are you launched in lots of different countries because i'm just thinking of all the people that this could be helpful for even in my friendship group in the uk yeah actually we have um we have the system in three languages at the time it's in swedish english and chinese and our goal is to have it in a lot more languages we want to be in all big five languages and um, also some really weird small languages that are speaking spoken in development countries that uh, that's our goal but we have users in 130 countries oh wow so i was going to so, ask you are you available in the uk the us canada because oh, that's where most of our listeners are but i'm sure yes, the answer is yes yes yes. <laughs> yes yes the answer is yes so we're um in discussions with um in in with bonsoon pregnancy if um you speak english you know just download it on app store and um bonsoon ivf it's all about whether we've had time to talk to that clinic or not what i'm hoping is during next year, we're going to be in all major clinics in UK and um, a, a big portion of the clinics in US. And then, of course, the Nordics. And I Nordic certainly countries. would not bet against you. And you're raising money at the moment, aren't you? Because you're expanding. Yes. Yes. Um, so how much are you raising and what are you planning to do with the cash? What we need is more salespeople. Mm. So uh, I'm raising money to... Um, it's a bit on plane tickets, not much, but then it's um, for salespeople and um, lawyers, basically. For us, since this IVF system we have so far, uh, there's no other product like this on the market. But I know that while we're speaking, there's actually six other people who are not even listening to this, Absolutely. but they're just building the same thing. Absolutely. Exactly. Because people get the same idea at the same time. Yep. So it's it's all about speed now. Yep. It's um, that's what it's about. But I think one thing you've got over these other six is your focus on, as you say, quality on one hand and then speed on the other. And obviously the the defensibility probably comes from the traction that you've already made in in the market so far. What what I need now, if I can like put a wish out there, is to get in contact with people who can help out in the u.s market because yep. i'm all set in china and the nordic and i am probably in the uk but i mean if someone wants to help out in uk that's very welcome too um but but u.s for us i mean the ivf market in u.s it's um i would say it's um it's a really interesting market it's very cool it's it's big but and it's it's growing Bonnie, I've just spotted the time. I can't believe we've uh, we've <laughs> we've actually run out oh. of time. Um, that's yeah, gone incredibly quickly as it often does on on this podcast. Hearing hearing awesome stories, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I'm glad that we've covered everything just about in time. Yeah, I mean, the way that we end these podcasts, <clears throat> excuse me, is I hand back over to you just to kind of summarise a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, what you're up to at Bonzen. And yeah, just close us out with any asks that you've got of our audience. So yeah, over to you to summarize. To summarize, um, well, I'm the founder of Bonsoon and I'm on a mission to help patients going through IVF clinics to increase their chances of having a baby and also on a mission to help women who are pregnant because I don't think anyone should die or suffer from being pregnant. And um, anyone who are interested in helping out on this mission, add me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And if people want to get in touch with you on LinkedIn, how can they find you? Just search for my name, Bonnie Rupier. And the company is called Bonsoon, B-O-N-Z-U-N. Um, it's, I think, one of the good things of having an unusual name. It's, it's, 
easy to find. I hear you there. <laughs> um, cool. And for our listeners, I'll put those links in the description of this episode. So Bonnie, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's been awesome hearing about sailing and golf and everything that you're doing with your health tech company. And I wish you all the best of luck in future. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Okay. Bye. Hey everybody and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.